I think that means we're good. All right. Huh. Um, Hello and it, welcome to, uh, well, there's your what a hell of a way to problem. Yes. Yes. Welcome uh, to the Nate Bethay crossover extended universe Avengers Infinity War. Uh, <laughs> that is true. You know, we I did made, it with, with lines led by donkeys last week and just continuing on. I made mm-hmm. I, one time in our discord, I made like, I found this picture of like an octopus over Europe holding different European countries. And I put Nate's face on it. And then on the <laughs> octopus arms, a bunch of like the different podcasts. And then somebody was like, you know, that that's like a horribly racist cartoon. Right. And I was like, well, no. Yeah, the original octopus was a Jewish octopus, which I mean, considering that I am in fact Jewish, does make sense, but it's probably not a good thing to do. Also, one of the shows you put on there, I had to drop because they brought on a guy like a, an expert on 9-11 who was just like an English teacher in Spain who was like, oh, yeah, it was a controlled demolition. And I was like, I can't oh. really produce your show anymore. Oh, okay. As, can't believe the sacred did that. As, as the other pro- Jewish person <laughs> on this podcast... No, we, we did do 9-11. Everybody stayed home. We got the message. I, I have to jump in with a, fu- with a funny quick story. It was that uh, there was a guy when I was in Afghanistan who had gone to like grad school in Pakistan who worked in the governor's office and he spoke English okay, but not super great. And he would always come up to me with like, he wants to have important strategy discussions or whatever about Afghanistan, Pakistan. And one time he came, he's like, I have an important question. What? Tell me on September the 11th, why did all Jews stay home that day? <laughs> and I said, uh, <laughs> it's a hard one to explain. <laughs> all right, so we, yeah, got, we got a message from George Soros on our secret Jew walkie-talkies. <laughs> the, yeah, the Jewish mobiles back in 2001. Yes. The Jewish people did 9-11, but by converting the uh, the airline hijackers to judaism and then still letting them do it which is impressive because normally it takes a long time <laughs> yeah so you, gotta, you gotta be dissuaded from it numerous the, the, times the, yeah. the jews in the building were actually load-bearing that's why they came down because they didn't show up to work that <laughs> 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 Which is so funny when people, because if you actually, one of the, one of the backstories of 9-11 that I remember hearing was that when people talk about like the Jews did 9-11 was there was, there was a guy on one of the flights who was a IDF veteran from Syrat Motcall. And if I remember correctly hearing the story, he was like telling people on the flight, like, don't worry, I was in Syrat Motcall, I'll handle this. And didn't realize that one of the hijackers was just sitting in the seat behind him and was like, oh, really? Okay. And then got a box cutter to the neck. So needless Ouch. to say, I don't think... I don't think that it was a Mossad plot. Uh, but hey, you know what? That's not who, who, who am I to comment on these things? Did you not <laughs> go to the last meeting, Nate? <laughs> I guess not, well, man. Well, not it was a lot for Mossad a, Zoom call. Oh, God. It was a lot for, uh, for uh, it was a high schooler at the time. You know, I had just passed Mossad selection. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. All right. We, we have to do this. Um, well, welcome to Well, There's Your Problem. A podcast about engineering disasters. With slides. Uh, with slides, yes. <laughs> uh, I'm Justin Rosniak. I'm the person who's talking right now. The pronouns are he and him. All right, uh, go. I'm Alice Caldwell Kelly. My pronouns are she and her. I'm the person who's talking right now. Uh, I am Liam Anderson. Uh, on my new microphone, my pronouns are he, him. Thank you for all the people telling me that I no longer sound like Dookie. My name is Nate Bethay. I am the co-host of what a, what a Hell of a Way to Die. I am not one of the hosts, but I was jumping in and filing in the way everyone else is doing. My pronouns are he, him. Uh, I'm also the co-host and producer of Thrash Future Podcast. 
And I'm Francis Horton. I'm the other half of What a Hell of a Way to Die, uh, general, lefty, veteran, not an actual general, though. Um, and uh, he, him, and yeah, we're, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to talk about military disasters, <laughs> of which there are so many. Um, oh, yeah. You know, there, there's so many different ways for the military to be a horrible disaster <laughs> that I'm excited about one of them being design flaws rather than leadership flaws. Because normally we talk about leadership flaws, but now we're going to be like, well, what if we just invented something that just killed people? Like, but not the bad guys, the good guys, us. What if we did that? Tilt rotors just going in every direction. <laughs> When I first saw the slides for this, I thought that was a photo of you, Francis. I was like, Francis, were you wearing a Marine uniform? <laughs> smoking a cigarette next to a crashed Osprey? That's like the, the advanced form of stealing valor is like stealing valor while you're in the military from another branch <laughs> of the military. Just like just Air Force ribbons you have no business having. <laughs> there's, there's, there's some dumbass on, online on Twitter who loves to yell at people for stolen valor. And one time I asked him, I said, you know, it's it's incredible because I know you hate me because I'm a leftist and I'm a veteran and I'm a 20 year veteran. So I'm retiring. It's like, but I'm surprised that you never really dug into like trying to prove me for stolen valor. And he's like, you like openly talk about how your public affairs, nobody, nobody is trying to act cool by stealing valor from public affairs. <laughs> like that is a fair point. That'd be like, if somebody was just like, yeah, man, I was a truck driver. I'm not going to like question that. I'm, nobody, nobody brags about being a truck driver in the army, but there are many truck drivers. So I, I, I managed to, to fly under his radar for that one. This is and then uh, the five minutes before your retirement packet gets approved. He comes out. He's like, "Why were you wearing the World War II Antarctica service ribbon in your last DA <laughs> photo?" I found it. I found it, and I wanted it. <laughs> You're not up to regs. Speaking of flying under the radar, you will see on the screen in front of you uh, a very strange aircraft, which has <laughs> flown very low <laughs> under the radar and has in fact crashed. <laughs> and there, there is a man. Smoking a cigarette and drinking a rip it in the foreground. When the first when I saw this for the first time, I thought that said sip it, by the way. No, I, no you don't sip those. I, you just drink yeah, them quickly to I, prop your eye, eyes I open. I remember the gas station near where I grew up used to sell ribbits for 75 cents. And I, being a dark and moody teenager, I was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna drink like 10 of them in one day. And I did. Uh, and I just like I felt like I was levitating out of my body, and I was like, "Is this how the <laughs> army feels all the time? How do we do anything?" <laughs> I love the fact that the rippets like they never changed the design no. from the early two thousands, so that basically it looks like a Static X album cover. But the one thing that really blows my mind, I'll tell you really quickly. In Afghanistan, it's it's obviously like a big thing with hospitality that you offer people drinks, food, etc. Whenever there's a meeting, and a friend of mine one time went to Ashura in a village, and the elders brought out basically like a bowl of pistachios, a bowl of raisins, and a bowl of rippets that had been stolen. <laughs> <laughs> we heard these are your American customs. This is what you want. <laughs> I I love the I always love the mythology that was around rippets because when you go to the gas station, you can get the sixteen ounce rippets, but in Iraq and Afghanistan, for some reason, we only had these like half cans. Like we'd get these six ounce cans oh, of ribbon. 
so yeah so you get them but the mythology was is like yeah we're getting the good shit you can't get back in the states this has got like cocaine in it or something like they're just like yeah it's small because it's just too concentrated if you drink too many of them you might die so therefore that's why they're actually issues you an eight loco it's like if you took they're like hey guys hope you enjoy our efforts if you took a if you took a four low if you took a normal rip it and like you just evaporated most of the water off of it and then rubbed the syrup on your gums, that's what we got here for you in the army. <laughs> yeah, it was depressing when I found out that they were made by the people who made Fago, because I thought they were like a military special only, but then I discovered later on, no, they're just shit tier energy drinks, which is what we give the troops. <laughs> Well, we didn't have Monster back then. In 2004, Monster energy drinks weren't a thing, so we had to we had to drink something, and it was it was Rippets. That was they the damn sure weren't going to buy Red Bull. So there <laughs> oh, it is. God. But in addition to talking about Rippets, today we are going to talk about um, military airplanes, most specifically Justin realizing that it's going to be yeah. even harder to keep this one on track than usual. Yeah, we we're going to talk about the V twenty two Osprey. And, seen and here in, seen, in, in, in the prime in of its life, habitat. got a mysterious kind of like oil stain down one side of it. Yeah, that's probably fine. But first, yeah. we're gonna do the goddamn news. Okay, so <laughs> we this this is something this is something local. Uh, so the Army Corps of Engineers managed to wreck uh, three barges into the Interstate 676 bridge in uh, Philly last week because they decided to delay dredging of the Upper Schuylkill because they didn't want to do it until eventually, <laughs> I, I don't even know how they got forced into doing it eventually. The Upper Schuylkill is supposed to be, like the Army Corps of Engineers is supposed to dredge navigable waters um but the upper schuylkill was grandfathered in and when it needed dredging a couple years ago they just said well we're not going to do that even though they're congressionally mandated to do that and somehow they managed to strong arm them into finally dredging this year uh but we also had a nasty storm so the barges got loose and crashed into a bridge hell yeah awesome strong yeah <laughs> I was hoping that the story was going to be that they had waited so long that like there was meter upon meter of silt just built up so actually the river isn't that high it's just it's just like 90% mud and 10% water but storm slightly more plausible <laughs> yeah you just get out and walk across <laughs> that is also true but what's, what's your warrior and it's just the five guys that have to dredge it like complaining endlessly <laughs> <laughs> yeah once again those guys are the kind of guys that like no one questions you stealing valor from if you can be like yeah I was in the army corps of engineers but all I did was like not dredge the schuylkill and like crash a barge into a bridge nobody's gonna like go through I, I, I served my country by bagging boats into stuff that boats shouldn't bag into. No, that's just the Navy. I've wrinkled. A long storied career of a long storied career of basically doing drain cleaning on every navigable waterway in America. Well, look, okay, so I live near the Mississippi River. Um, I've I've visited many a uh, Army Corps of Engineer lock and dam because I am just a huge fucking nerd. 
and uh, I love going to those places. Usually they have. Oh man, I got to play like a a, a barge video game where they like rebuilt. They built a the a barge like uh, ca- like, like a tugboat <laughs> uh, captain's area, I guess the 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 four deck, and you get to drive a barge through the lock and dam. It's very exciting. That rules. Um, that sounds fun. But barges barges on the Mississippi River are so wild because like they're just like tied up all over the place because it's basically just a big floating. As you can see here, it's just a big floating hole that you fill the hole with things and you float it up and down the river but like all up and down the mississippi around st louis there are just like wrecked barges on sand dunes that like when the river is up you don't see it but when the river's down you're just like oh there's that barge that's just sitting there and nobody does anything about them they're just like well it's off to the side so we don't actually have to worry about it um eventually it will rust away i assume even though these are barges and they're meant to be in the water so one assumes that their rusting capabilities are very low um i'm just saying that that barges running into things and being wrecked is a perfectly normal thing and whether that should scare you or not i don't know but it is a normal thing (laughs) i i mean they go pretty slow it's probably fine uh (laughs) <laughs> just just hearing a beautiful perfect like donk. yeah uh, just think that i'm i'm now i'm i'm now salivating at the thought of all those free barges you on the mississippi gotta, river i could get a barge yeah, anytime i want i bet yeah. you could start up in in minneapolis or wherever the mississippi river starts and just floats down and by the time you get to louisiana you can have your own fleet and as long as you're willing to like you know do a little, do a little, you know, uh, buff out some rust, fill up a couple of holes, and then all of a sudden you're running coal up and down the Mississippi or coal barren for free. Done. Yeah. Oh yeah. Just patch it up with some bondo. Yeah. <laughs> well, you just go on the uh, uh, as seen on TV that like gorilla slap thing where he slaps it onto the big thing of water that's you know the big tank that's got water <laughs> out and slaps it on there. Just do that to barges up and down the Mississippi River, and you got a fleet. I was just right. going to say, make sure to not try to recover Grimes' old houseboat. It's not seaworthy. Oh, fuck. She did try. She tried to do exactly this without the coal baron part. I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> and, like, my favorite part of the write up for that, just to, like, close out our news segment, was they were interviewed for the local news because they got cited, I think, for, like, uh, I- I- improper barge safety, like, three times. And, like, it mentions and Grimes. Animal endangerment because they had a bunch of geese <laughs> on board. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it mentions like uh, Grimes and her then boyfriend decided to try and do this uh, on the basis of um, uh, Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, which neither of them had read. Did they name one of the geese oh Jim and God. just like, we're like, well, that's close enough. <laughs> Good lord. All right. That, that was the goddamn news. We're keeping it short today. Single oh. item, yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so. In order to talk about the V-22 Osprey, I think it's useful to start by asking, what, what is helicopter? Uh, a scene here. <laughs> 30,000 moving parts looking for a place to crash. <laughs> yeah. So ugly, the ground repels it, beats the air into submission, uh, every yeah. other helicopter joke. Alice, you got you got to drop some Dulwich College etymology on here because the the etymology of helicopter is one of the funniest things that no one is ever expecting in the English language. Oh yeah, it's um people think that it's it's helicopter and it's not. It's helico and pter, which is like it's a 
It's a revolving bird. It's a spinny bird. Well, fair enough, I guess. This is one of those things, like I, like when I mentioned a couple of episodes ago that restaurateur doesn't have an N in it, uh, people get really upset, and that's one of those like upsetting facts uh, this, that a, a private education buys that's you. Like, that's like yeah, the Bernstein Bears thing. Yeah. Oh my god. Alright, so, uh, the first revolving bird <laughs> was invented by Leonardo da Vinci, right? Um, there were some, there were some, like, spinning tops that used helicopter principles in China as far back as 400 BC. Um, those were all children's toys. Da Vinci came up with this flying screw thing in the 1480s. He claimed to have made a working model, but that doesn't survive. Um, yeah, you also, gotta go to the, the documentary Assassin's Creed Brotherhood for that. Yeah, now, the, uh, one of the problems with, you know, this sort of design back in the 1480s is no one had invented an engine for them, right? And horses were too heavy to power the screw, right? <laughs> you just have a guy on there cranking it. I'm just envisioning what that would look like even in, like, the demo version. It's a giant hamster wheel that you just throw a horse into. Oh, yeah. Come on, Bessie. Come on, Bessie. We have to get off the ground. <laughs> Do you want the camera, Bessie? <laughs> Yeah, the potential thrust to lift ratio of a horse is not very good. <laughs> so there were some practical developments in like model helicopters in the 1860s. Thomas Edison was paid to develop a sort of rotary aircraft in the 1880s with an internal combustion engine that he decided he'd try and power with gun cotton. Yes. Uh, yes. I love, very I love how back in the day, like there were so, there were very ah. few smart people just because everybody was too busy trying to survive. So they would just go to like the one smart guy in the tri-state area and be like, Hey man, you made light bulbs. Can you make yes. a helicopter? And he's like, yeah, I'll give a whack at that. Why not? What the fuck else am I doing? <laughs> You're the only person whose brain works and isn't like out of their gourd on laudanum. Uh, you can pretty much do everything, right? So, around 1901, there's a man named Herman Ganswit, and he managed to pilot a helicopter off the ground in Berlin. That was actually two years before the Wright brothers figured out fixed-wing flight, right? Uh, huh. He developed this uh, machine for... Uh, he, wanted, he was trying to make a plan for oh, space wow. travel, which would involve... Uh, a spaceship that would be carried aloft by the helicopter, and then it would fire up its engines to go further, and th those <laughs> engines would be powered by dynamite, of course. <laughs> now, now, this is, we, we, we laugh at this, but at one point in time, there was a plan to make a rocket by putting nuclear bombs underneath it. So this is just like the precursor to that. Mm. Oh yeah, it was, uh, what's it called? Uh... Ah, yeah, there's a lot of what it's called. I know that, what you're talking that, like, about. That like seven year period be between to... like, hey, we dropped a nuclear bomb and hey, fallout is really bad. Those seven years made some really fucked up atomic uh, uh, plans and ideas there. Yeah, we 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 could just like dig a canal using one of these things. Yes. yes. Yeah. The 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 Soviets had a just like, what if we had good practical applications for nuclear bombs, like build digging a canal? And turns out that this is a horrible <laughs> idea. Yeah. <Go> figure. <laughs> The, the fallout exists, yes. There's still, like, very slow development in rotorcraft development through the early half of the 20th century, right? No one figures out how to make a good practical helicopter 
but we do get something called the auto gyro, right? <laughs> <laughs> Looking good. Yeah. So Juan de la Sierva invents the auto gyro for the Spanish Air Force in 1923, right? So the idea here is this rotor on top of this aircraft is unpowered, right? Sure. Okay. He's, he, what he's done is he's put an enormous desk fan on top of a regular plane. <laughs> yes. And what this does is it allows for low speed flight, um, you know, because this rotor will auto rotate and provide a little extra lift so you can uh, descend slower, you can fly slower, you know, that means you can chuck stuff out of the side of the aircraft like bombs easier, right? Uh, and there's less danger of stalling overall, right? Um, and, uh, you know, there were developments from this, auto gyros, uh, you know, were improved with control surfaces on the rotor, but no one quite figured out a good way to come up with pre-rotation, right? And that was no, the idea was... Just have a guy spin you, it. If you, have a guy spin it. <laughs> well, that's one option, but they had to spin it pretty hard. Um, <laughs> you, you get a horse. Yeah. <laughs> back to that again. Well, the, the idea was they were trying to get pre-rotation so they could take off shorter as well as land on a shorter uh, distance, right? But that required a transmission that no one could quite figure out how to do. Huh. Also laughing at the idea of a drive shaft <laughs> going through your seat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just, just like, just maneuver around it. It's fine. There's a big pair of wooden uh, bevel gears right behind you. <laughs> one of uh, De La Sierra's auto gyros became the first rotorcraft deployed in combat in 1934. That was for reconnaissance to put down the Asturian minor strike of 1934. Uh, and fucking you know. everything, like all of the weird, like interwar technology, just happens because of like labor wars. It's like, oh, we just invented like this way of dropping bombs on striking workers. Awesome. I, I this is this is like something consistent in the history of rotorcraft is they are mostly used <laughs> for killing leftists and communists. <laughs> <laughs> Helicopters are fucking fascist. God damn it. Helicopters are inherently fascist, yes. <laughs> All right, we go, from the auto gyro, uh, there were a few more developments, mostly by the Nazis in World War II, but we bombed their helicopter factories good enough they couldn't good. really use them practically. Uh, your, your first modern helicopter was developed by Igor Sikorsky, right? This is the Sikorsky R4. Uh, Seen here with seatbelts optional, <laughs> like, in shirt sleeves, just like hanging out the, the open door. I, I, I really do like yeah, the flying Yeah, just sitting the, here in a bosom chair. Tie. I really like the formality of being a helicopter pilot. <laughs> it's, it's like you're, you're like dad's hobby project, yeah. Yeah, this is. The, I mean, the the shirt, the shirt and tie and slacks is the, uh, it's it's the uniform of the sweaty man working for the government in the 1950s and 1960s. Like everybody dressed this way, they all had weird mustaches. They all looked like they were kind of child molesters, but instead they were actually building rockets and shit. So this is this is normal. This is perfectly yeah, you normal. Take the, you take the good with the bad. <laughs> Igor Sikorsky on the right there looks like he oh, should be played oh, by yeah. J.K. Like, Simmons. Specifically J.K. Uh, Simmons' character in Oz. Like, just real, real depraved yeah. shit. Yeah. Which, 
the helicopter. So, <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the podcast where we insult the legacy I'll, I'll, of Igor Sikorsky. I'll, I'll go to Connecticut and I will, uh, I will start some problems there at the Sikorsky factory. I know where it is. I'll be like, uh, the guy who started this is a loser. And JK Timmons. That's how hauled off. Oh, yeah, you sh- show up drunk at uh, what you think is the Sikorsky plant, but it's actually General <laughs> Dynamics electric boat, and they, uh, then they, they cart you off to some kind of black site. Uh, wherever they put my dad in college. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the first uh, helicopter that has sort of the modern format, right? You have your big rotor up top here. Right. And then you have a small rotor at the end on a tail. Right. And the reason you do that is to prevent counter rotation. Right. Because one of the problems is, uh, is that the motor inside the helicopter can it can spin the blades, but just as easily the blades could remain stationary and the helicopter could start spinning. Right. Kind of the opposite of what you want. Everyone gets dizzy. (laughs) Yes. uh, Also crashes into the ground. Yeah, so you have your little rotor on the back to add some uh, force uh, thrust uh, perpendicular to the actual helicopter itself to stop that from happening. Yeah, and as we saw in Black Hawk Down, when that little guy stops working, then you have big spinny problems. Yes. This was powered by a big heavy piston engine, uh, and your real development creating the modern, modern helicopter is adding turbine engines, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the Aerospatial uh, Alouette uh, 2, right? They, they put a light turbine engine on there, and uh, now, now we have <laughs> our modern helicopter here in the, in the mid-50s, right? Just got the MASH theme song. You also had... That looks a lot like a, like a Bell H-13, which was the first... Kazovac helicopter. It was used in Korea, and hilariously, it also had skids, and they just put stretchers on the skids on the outside of the aircraft. And yeah, just uh, don't fall off. Yeah, I've seen some artwork where it looks like they've put nice little windshields for the casualties, so that <laughs> birds and shit don't hit them. But you know, it's the mash helicopters. You see how they do that? They strap you on the sides, and then they drop you off. The doctors take you off, and you go on back out. Yeah, we, we, we saved his leg, but unfortunately, <laughs> nothing we could do about the hearing. <laughs> and you get tinnitus, and you get tinnitus, and you get tinnitus. We, we've actually determined that people live long and fruitful lives with birds embedded in their foreheads, so you know what? <laughs> Just the casualty arrives, like, faster, but lightly sandblasted. <laughs> it looks smooth, it looks smooth, doesn't it look smooth? It looks very smooth. <laughs> All right, so helicopters start getting real big real quick. Uh, so, for instance, what we're going to talk about a little bit is this is the CH-53C Stallion. It's another Sikorsky helicopter, which is uh, developed for this, uh, this military uh, group called the U.S. Marines. Um, right? Ragtag bunch of, uh, yeah. like, plucky outsiders. Bunch of ne'er-do-wells. Yes. So... You know, this this was first flown in 1964. You can see how big helicopters got, how quickly. Uh, it's got two big turbine engines, one on each side, with six rotor blades. You know, it's for heavy lifting, very fast, 1,100 nautical miles of range, blah, blah, blah. 
out of service in 2012, replaced by the Super Stallion. Now they're making an even bigger one called the King Stallion. Uh, sort of, you know, workhorse, heavy lift helicopter, fairly reliable. You know, it's weird that it's a workhorse, but they call it the Stallion. Yeah. yeah. I like it, though. It's, it's a good aesthetic. Like, it's very, yeah. like, I don't know. It's, it's <laughs> gray brown. That's the, that's the paint I like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of like it's a it's a miniature version of the uh, mill mi twenty six in a way, which if you like oh, that yeah. aesthetic, imagine that times five. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it, as I understand it, it's the biggest, if not at parity with the ch forty seven for American rotary wing aircraft. Yeah, I mean, I I, I know the, I know the Russians went bigger uh, and like yeah. created an impractically large helicopter. Yeah, uh, that's the Mi twenty six. I've seen photos where they used one to sling load a bro a broken CH forty seven in Afghanistan. They literally <laughs> bottom loaded an entire huge cargo helicopter from another helicopter that's bigger. Rules. All right. So one of the things about helicopters is when we use them in incredibly complicated operations. <laughs> It always uh, works very well, um, and that's why Jimmy Carter got two terms. <laughs> All right. Uh, did I write this slide? No, I did I not. I wrote this slide, All yeah. Right. Um, although, feel, feel free to interrupt me no. with extra details. So, okay. uh, you may be familiar with the fact that, Isla uh, that Iran is an Islamic Republic, and you may also be familiar with, like, if you remember, like, yard sale t-shirts about the Ayatollah, that he uh, took a bunch of hostages in the American embassy. And one of the things that the Carter administration wanted to do about this was to, like, get, get tactical with it, do some, some special forces, Delta Force shit, and end the crisis by force, by flying in a bunch of uh, guys from the army, um, into a base in the middle of the desert that they would create, called Desert One, Imaginative name. Yeah. Uh, the CIA would get them into Tehran, they would storm the embassy, free the hostages, and escape. In order to do this, you need um, a couple of C-130s, transport uh, aircraft, and a bunch of those sea stallions that we saw earlier. And they set off with eight, and I think five get there, because <laughs> each of them suffers like a separate, independent mechanical problem. Like One of the <laughs> rotor blades cracks, one of the hydraulic systems goes wrong. Um, According to plan, then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so this incredibly like finicky like Swiss watch kind of plan with a lot of moving parts immediately starts to like unravel. Um, you you see on the right that like uh, there are a bunch of Iranian dudes in a modern photo just hanging out next to a sea stallion. That's because they had to leave it in the desert, um, and they didn't really bother to destroy it. So it's just kind of still there. Um, this is this is reminiscent of when they did the uh, the assault on Abbottabad to get them to that, and then they lost the helicopter. Had to blow one up. <laughs> right, you it, and and it seems like for any of these, it's like, all right, we need to take like seven helicopters, and there'd be a some lieutenant somewhere. They're like, well, don't we only need two? It's like, look, <laughs> half of these aren't coming back. So <laughs> you, you always have to assume at least four of them are going to crash just because they're pieces of shit. I can't, I can't, I can't give you anything else, LT. That's all we got. And that, that, that's exactly what happened. And so they had to. They ended up having to abort this. Um, they they literally they got on the radio and it went all the way up to Carter. And he was like, "No, you can't do it with four helicopters. Come home." 
so they had to refuel, and they were sitting in the desert in Desert One, this this airstrip they created with the engines idling um, in like the middle of a sandstorm. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> they have to have an Air Force combat controller try to like maneuver one of these helicopters into refuel. Um, he gets so sandblasted by the downdraft from this helicopter that he like he takes a step or two backwards. Uh, which you don't want to do, because then, with no other points of visual reference, the pilot thinks, ah, I am moving backwards, I have to correct for this and move forwards, and flies into the C-130, kills, like, eight people, I think, massive explosion, uh, huge debacle, uh, and, yeah, no, it, it, it all goes horribly wrong. I was just going to say that this is actually also the inciting incident for why the U.S. Army created Delta Force, or what's now called CAG, or SFOD Delta, uh, a cross-border insertion raid force, which didn't get used on bin Laden because the head of the uh, Department of Defense Special Operations Command was a SEAL, and he was just like, nope, we're doing SEALs. <laughs> they might be from the water, doesn't matter, we're doing SEALs. And uh, that's why they crashed helicopter. If Delta operators wanted to get the, the good jobs, they should have written more books with titles like <laughs> Honor of Courage Duty. No, I'm going to get all my boys a book deal. None of your boys gonna get a book deal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still struck by the the seal who claimed to have killed Bin Laden is now like writing this for Twitter clout and is like tweeting that the last thing that Osama Bin Laden saw was the like American flag on his shoulder. Rule. Just like, uh, yeah, okay. So here's the thing, right? Is like that's you, you can you can just stop anytime, man. And what we should he's, do. He's basically, he's the army version of Uncle Rico, just keeps talking about oh like God. the one, Lord the one, one pass he did in senior year of high school. And he's just living in that. It's just like, <laughs> like 11 years later, it's just like, did I ever tell you about how I would kill Bin Laden? It's like, fuck yes. There was this funnier dot. There was this stupid funnier die skit in like 2012 about the guy like being sworn to secrecy and then like in the next scene he's in the bar he's like I fucking shot Bin Laden <laughs> and like that would at least be cool if Mikuya or whatever the fuck that guy's name is just did that but instead he just does it like yeah he just does cringe posts about it I just I, I'm waiting for the bo the tell all book by the dog <laughs> <laughs> so uh, in in this operation where they took seven helicopters and managed to wreck one into an airplane. Uh, yeah, the, the Iranians, by the way, still have two of them. Two of them are, uh, like, they repaired two of these sea stallions and the Iranian Navy still operates them. Which is just the biggest flex I can imagine. I don't understand why they need seven helicopters to go in and out, you know, and they lose two of them when your local news station can, like, report on traffic every day with one. <laughs> Well, your local news station doesn't typically have to fly through a or sandstorm, I think, is the problem. Unless you're in North Philly, in which yeah. case, you know, sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> but I will say this much. It's very important to bear this in mind for the future story, because if the inciting incident for the V-22 Osprey was brownout and sand is bad, that will become very important when you learn about what the V-22 Osprey actually does. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so having... Fixed and rotary wing aircraft working right next to each other obviously has some problems. So, you know, that we come up with this idea of why not do both in one platform, right? Now, oddly enough, this had been experimented with before. Uh, <laughs> ugliest <laughs> looking thing I've ever seen. <laughs> this is the um this is the Ling Temco Vought XC142, first flown 1964, right? 
an elegant name. It's supposed to be a aircraft, a, a, a tilt rotor aircraft for all branches of the military, but the Marines decided it wouldn't be ready in time, so they pulled out. Um, no imagination. And then eventually, yeah, and eventually, you know, the whole whole project was canceled. It had a few successful test flights. Also, one of them crashed and killed some people. Um, yeah, you win some, yeah, you lose you some. some. Cool NASA livery, though. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think NASA but, used it for I mean, a long it genuinely, time. Genuinely, if, if, for people who grew up in the 80s and early 90s, this basically looks like your Transformer toy stopped folding back the way it's supposed to. <laughs> 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 so your, your theoretical feature is a tilt rudder. You know, it can take off vertically like a helicopter. Right. But it also can go fast horizontally like an airplane. Right. And when it's got a wing assisting with lift, you know, that's more efficient than having a real fast propeller. Right. Uh, more mm-hmm. range, more speed, less fuel. Uh, your main problem with this aircraft was uh, rather than was there was one motor, one turbine in the middle of the plane of the aircraft, mm-hmm. or whatever you call it. And then there was just a prop shaft that went down the length of the wing. Oh, so we've actually gone back to the autogyro thing of just like having your seat bisected by a drive shaft. Yeah, exactly. So you know, and this drive shaft caused it just an ass load of um, vibration, made it difficult <laughs> to fly. Awesome. Wait, does that mean it had to go through the cabin as well? Like yeah. You'd just be trying to like you're just in the back, and there's a like spinning drive shaft like at head height. I probably looked a lot like, um, you know, those old belt-driven machinery halls, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, all right, this this one didn't go anywhere, but from this we, uh, you know, uh, so enough research was, uh, you know, discovered, uh, you know, to start working on the Osprey, which, after Eagle Claw, the Marines decide, actually, we do want this <laughs> tilt rotor, rotor aircraft. Um, and we have we have like uh, kept entirely in keeping with Igor Sikorsky's <laughs> legacy of just leaning out the side of the aircraft whenever you feel like. Yeah. Oh yeah, you just stick your head yeah, out like you're a how, dog. That's actually how they navigate. <laughs> no, bro, you got to go left here. <laughs> just like leaning half out the window. They don't have rear view mirrors, so if they back up, someone has to stick their head out the side. It's, I hate to have to parallel park my V twenty two. You're signaling someone to pull over. <laughs> I'm just, I, I don't know what role this was meant to fill. Like the helicopter, the, and this is this is typical military engineering where they'll like just come up with a like, what if we had this scenario <laughs> that doesn't exist? And they'll be like, well, let's build a helicopter. Let's build something around that. Let's build something around this idea. And you get this, which is like, okay, it can, you know, what can it do? It can take off from an aircraft carrier. Sure, I guess. And then it can go farther than a helicopter. But like, there are so many, like, I don't know, just so many weird design flaws in this. And I don't, I just don't understand what the, like, it's, it's like the F-35, right? In theory, when you write down on papers, like, I want an airplane that can do A, B, C, and D. And you're like, cool. We can make that. And instead, you make an airplane that asphyxiates the pilot and catches on fire. The answer to a question nobody asked. 
Yeah. Right. And and I, I interviewed a, a journalist who specializes in the F-35 and she told me, she's like, well, the F-35 did a lot of things that, you know, mm-hmm. are very ambitious and, you know, there, there's there's good things that it can do. But yes, also it asphyxiates the pilot sometimes and sometimes catches on fire. And and it's just like it's fulfilling this this role that nobody needs fulfilled because like our greatest enemy, like who's our greatest enemy is Russia. And they have one aircraft carrier that they can't stop you know, catching on fire or dropping cranes on. So like, the, you know, the next, the next biggest like threat we have is China and China makes too much money off of us to bomb us. So like, what exactly is this for other than to crash in a desert somewhere and then have like a bunch of, you know, skinny 14 year old teenagers with AK 47s hit it with rocks. Cause they're bored out of their minds and <laughs> there's nothing else to do other than chuck rocks at the crashed, the crashed military vehicles out here in Iraq. You know, in Afghanistan, there's uh, there's plenty of Russian aircraft graveyards. And I just I'm thinking of like once we leave, like all the the army shit that's just going to get piled on top of all the Russian like transport planes and stuff like on Bagram. Like, Nate, were you ever on Bagram? Did you spend time on Bagram at all? I was definitely on Bagram. And yeah, there's lots and lots of old Kamaz <laughs> trucks and just some tanks shit. and just some rusted out <laughs> shit. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. A, I yeah, just, just I'm looking some, forward some to fields. like by the. By the time we're eventually, you know, expelled from Afghanistan one way or another and just a bunch of like CH-47s and, you know, busted up Blackhawks that were just like, I don't know, we didn't, I don't want to take it home. It's too, it's too expensive. Just leave it here. And the, the Afghans will <laughs> just put it on the fucking pile, I guess. <laughs> Next. Well, one of the theories I heard of, uh, of why the V-22 existed was partially so the Marines could justify their continued <laughs> existence. Oh, yeah, because there was this, like, evergreen proposal that kept going around, and, like, some presidents were more interested in than others, that the army should just eat the Marine Corps. I would um, 100% get rid of the Marines. Absolutely no reason for wet soldiers. Just make soldiers that are wet. God damn it. What the fuck is the point of this? What the fuck is the point of the Marines? Let's let's be honest. They're not even a branch of the arm, of the military. Don't they tell are them a that. part of the Don't Navy. Tell them that. They are just wet soldiers. <laughs> I tell them that all the time. Uh, uh, okay, <laughs> fuck their cult. I don't care. Marines. My ass rides and Navy equipment. I know. <laughs> I, I feel like the, a lot of the reason why the Marines have remained around is as like this kind of psychological value because politicians yeah. think that they're tougher. <laughs> and so. It's- yeah. yeah, so it's like this whole thing now of like, like braver than the Marines or whatever. Um, yeah, well, the Marines, the, the the reason why you do keep the Marines around is because at some point in time, maybe we need to start convincing people to strap bombs to themselves and throw themselves into a place. And that would be the Marines. The Marines would be the easiest ones to be, just be like, bro, just get into this tank. We're going to strap it full of explosives. You're going to run the tank in there and it's going to set off like basically a small nuclear detonation. Like, hoorah, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's get those pussies. Fucking, all right, man. I'm gonna be over here taking pictures of public affairs. That's what the fuck I do. (laughs) Good luck, boys. One thing that I also think is worth mentioning is that this factors into the story of the Osprey is that the Marines uh, synergy with politicians and their incredibly strong lobbying forces within various fucking branches of the U.S. government is such that even when you have what will later be affectionately referred to as the elevator of death by actual Marines in production or in testing and constantly killing people, doesn't matter because. Senior enough people in politics want it because, as you say, the Marines are tougher somehow. And my one Marine anecdote, and I do not not know if this is factual, but it's something that was reported to me that makes a lot of sense. 
is that in marine doctrine, the smallest maneuver element, which is to say the smallest element of people who can move around in groups, basically, is the battalion. Everything <laughs> under a battalion size is frontal assault. Just fucking frontal assault. Just do it nonstop. By comparison in the army, I mean, you can basically maneuver with individuals or at least two-man fire teams. So it's a, it's a mentality, and I feel like that explains a lot. Well, the cult's got to bring the cult with them. Yeah, and yeah. they have cool <laughs> uniforms, right? Like, the army had to, like, bring back the 1940s-style pinks and greens because senior officers were getting upset that, like, uh, politicians were fawning over Marines in their kind of, like, retro-looking uniforms, and they thought they looked like caterwaces. So, <laughs> you know, I, I, I get it, right? It's good branding. I will say, of all the, uh, you see people driving, you know, driving around, uh, it's always it's always like a 2004 GMC Yukon that -hmm. just has like the Marine Corps emblem and they're flying a Marine Corps flag and just like the I served hats and it's always it's always it's always the Marines. It's always reasons. I never see anyone who is just like, yeah, fuck yeah, that's right. I was in the Air Force. Like let me put it on my GMC Yukon 450 times. You're like, hey man, were you in the Marines? <laughs> Marines, Marines love to serve for four years in the Marines and then never shut the fuck up about it for the rest of their entire natural lives about how they were a Marine. And like, oftentimes I ask these people, like, if you loved it so much, why the fuck did you get out? And there's always it's like, like, you oh, spent four years well, getting hazed so bad. Right. You spent four years getting hazed so bad that they made you grow a mustache so you could use it to clean a toilet. And then you're like, that was the best four years of my life. <laughs> It's one of those in retrospect is like, it was great. Like, was it though? I mean, you guys, you know, they just beat you with socks full of soap, like for fun. How was that fun? They sent you to Paris Island and shoved you in a washing machine. Yeah. <laughs> they killed that guy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That, sounds, that sounds like a, a fucking bucket of laps. Good Lord. Uh, all you right. Know who wouldn't do that to you? The, the fucking Air Force. No, the Air Force would never. Yeah. No, but I know a guy who almost got kicked out of Air Force basic training because he couldn't fold his towels correctly, and that's what the Air Force is 100% about. Like, if you cannot fold a fucking towel exactly within specifications, you were not allowed to wear that uniform. It's the right stuff, but for remembering the phrase, fast, neat, average, friendly, good, good. (laughs) All right, so... December 1982... The Marines issue a request for proposals for a tilt rotor aircraft, you know? So, and they award it to a consortium of Boeing Vertol and Bell Helicopter. Over three. Because uh, a Bell Helicopter had actually done a tilt rotor before. And Boeing was like, "Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll jump on this. So, this was developed from an earlier prototype. Uh, They eliminated. Uh, power by drive shaft in favor of putting individual turbines on each nacelle here to power each of these very large uh, propellers, right? There's still a horizontal drive shaft that goes across in case one of the engines fails. You can have the other engine power both. Um, oh, good. Yeah. But now it, now it's like, mo- at least it's not spinning at head height now. Yeah. So. What does this do? All right, so it's a tilt router. It converts from this comical-looking helicopter <laughs> into uh, sort of a plane with comically large propellers, right? Uh, in about 12 seconds. The rotors also fold up so you can stick it on an aircraft carrier, which means they're smaller than they should be. 
which means when it takes off, there's a bunch of extra pressure on the surface uh, where yeah, it's taken off. There's flight decks. Oh yeah, they're bad for flight decks. Apparently, if you're trying to do like a uh, 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 ocean rescue, the the, the downwash can just yep. like drown the person you're you're trying to rescue. It waves to you as you drown. Yes. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I feel like that's a detail that's that's hilarious, worth ex- exploring. I need to figure I'd see the actual figures, but if I remember correctly, the V twenty two Osprey's downdraft at like at its hover speed is the the speed or that they the the speed of the air that it generates or the force that it generates is if I'm not mistaken something miles like an hour. That's a goddamn. It's like one hundred and forty knots. It's faster than the speed that a C-130 flies at when it throws paratroopers out the back. <laughs> like, I'm dead serious. And, you know, I really, I, I've, I've, you know, loaded onto running helicopters before. I've had to, you know, be there when the helicopter lands, run onto the helicopter and the helicopter takes off. You know, that downwash is pretty, you know, what... What what we always did would take a knee, turn away from the thing, put you know a hand in front of your face, and you know you get hit with some rocks and some gravel and stuff. But in general, you're fine. No no lasting damage. I'm just really wondering, like, if you had to do like a touch and go, where the this thing touches down and then you got to load onto it. Like, is it one of those like one of those comical like you know somebody trying to walk in wind and they're just like really pushing <laughs> up against it, you're just <laughs> holding on to a pole and then you're like horizontal on the pole. Because the wind is so big, it's, 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 <laughs> you take your helmet off and it turns it inside out like an umbrella. <laughs> like your 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 rifle goes flying and like embeds itself into the wall like barrel first. Rifle turns inside out like an umbrella. <laughs> it's like oh that 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 shouldn't look like that. The bullets fly out of the magazine so fast, like faster than actual bullets, and start killing people. <laughs> All right, it, it, it also serves the purpose of gun. Nice. Okay, this is real multitasker. Um, now, s- some of them have machine guns on them. Some of them have something called the interim defense weapon system, which is like a little turret on the bottom, right? Uh, you can use them to carry things, right? So- Looking very, like... Uh, powerful there, lifting a sort of lightened Humvee. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, exactly. Wait, so looking at that, yeah, so it's got two points of attachment. So it's basically it can sling load the same way that a CH forty seven can. I don't have the spec sheet to know how much uh, it, its max sling load capacity is, but I have this feeling that you probably don't want to be using. It, it certainly can't do that. I imagine when it's in. Uh, in forward drive fucking you know plane mode so how this is better than a ch-47 i don't know i do know that a ch-47's max lift capacity is i think something along the lines of like twenty-two thousand pounds so uh if it's not better then this is just like a cool gizmo that it can do when it's being a transformer but that's that's procurement for you you can show that off uh to like a, a stand full of officers and they're like oh that's very impressive Right, like if you if you don't know what you're looking at when you look at this picture, you're like that looks kind of impressive. But when you look at a Humvee that's completely stripped down, which we don't even use anymore, we don't use Humvees any longer. Um, with with no armor, no not even like a hard shell back top. It's this this thing is this is like a pickup truck. They even took the doors the off of it. Out. <laughs> they took the seat right. I'm I'm really curious if we pop the hood, will we find an engine in there? And, <laughs> 
we're, we're going to do this off this deck. It looks like this is probably Hawaii in the back if these are Marines or Okinawa, you know, so, so it's this nice picturesque thing. And it's really, this, this proves nothing. This proves like me looking at this is like, congratulations. All I can see is nobody can be near this thing and you can bring me a useless piece of equipment. Congratulations. It's entirely possible. They, depending on that model of Humvee, I'm not sure what it is, but cargo back Humvee or a, a troop, troop carrier Humvee that's not up armored. I absolutely know for a fact from looking at that, that a, a UH-60 Blackhawk could carry that. Depending on how heavy and what that model of that Humvee is, it's entirely possible that a UH-1 Huey could carry it too. Look how many wheels. This is the, exactly, it wouldn't look as cool, but I was just going to say as, as, as the, the person who actually did go to Pathfinder school, uh, this is, I mean, I'm glad it works. There's a part of me that's like, is that, is that an airfield or is that an aircraft carrier? Cause the idea of like, we have a Humvee on an aircraft carrier is hilarious to me. But, uh, it's, <laughs> it's just probably, driving around. Uh, Dude, exactly. to drive from one end <laughs> of the flight deck yeah. to the other. shop truck. Yeah. Well, well to be, to be fair, the, uh, the Marines park LAVs on the decks of aircraft carriers because aircraft carriers have no way of like shooting speedboats full of explosives. So they have to put like basically a, 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 a wheeled vehicle with a 30 millimeter gun on the deck to shoot at things in the water because aircraft carriers can't defend against that. And, and I imagine they just tell the guys who are in the up guns on those trucks, like, just make sure you put your chalk blocks in because of a V-22 lands is going to blow your vehicle off the deck. <laughs> Great, we've turned a, a, an aircraft carrier into a glorified Roro ferry. I do like the idea of, of flying around uh, with a Humvee under you and just sort of using it as a wrecking ball. <laughs> just, just like blowing people down. <laughs> like, ha ha ha. I have, I have that, that's a, that's going to be the best idea for the next, like any, I want to make a military movie now specifically <laughs> built around that scene. I don't care what the plot is, but I do need there to be a, a an Osprey with a sling loaded Humvee. And they're like, we didn't load the ammo. What are we going to do? And like the, you look over to the grizzled Warren officer who's piloting <laughs> is like, you know what to do. And then they just start mowing down terrorists with a, with a wrecking ball Humvee. I'm in. We can make this somehow. I don't care what about the rest of yeah, the movie. If the but government can fund Jack Ryan, they can fund us too. Let's go, boys. <laughs> Fan art. Get on it. All right. So in addition to lifting stuff and maybe wrecking balling stuff, people can also jump out of it. Or oh, this, you put this rope. slide in just to upset <laughs> Nate specifically. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to two two things I want to point out. Number one, those guys on the left are doing a halo or maybe a hey ho insertion, which is not a common thing. I mean, obviously it's a special ops mission, but that's not a common paratrooper thing. If this plane can do static line paratroop operations, which is where you're connected to the aircraft basically and the cable going tight or taut uh, deploys your your parachute, cool, but. In a way, it seems kind of efficient, uh, inefficient because if I remember correctly, this thing can only carry 24 people and it doesn't look like you can go out particularly quickly because there's, there's no tr- there aren't troop doors on either side of the aircraft, so you can only go off the back ramp. Um, I just have a feeling, having jumped off the back ramp of a CH-47 before, and it's, it's kind of scary and it's not for beginners, um, I just feel like this, this could be a little bit weird. I mean, I guess, but also I'm really wondering what is its minimum speed in this configuration because... 
depending on if you do are doing static line operations, it would be hilarious if this thing wound up being more painful than a cargo <laughs> jet. Um, as for the picture <laughs> on the right, you mentioned you mentioned the troop doors. It does have it has one on the starboard side that they can't use for oh, this because yeah. the downforce from the roses is too high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just oh my god. And then it, with regard to the fast roping, after after hearing about how incredibly strong the downdraft is. I'm, I, I can see why that guy in the foreground of the picture is running as fast as he fucking came away from that thing. And also, I'm just going to say, for a demonstration, that feels... I don't know. Look at the proportions there. That seems kind of high. Like, that's just... I mean, okay, I, I, haven't, I haven't really done this that much, but I'm just saying, like, there's a part of me that looks at that as just like, this can only be done in, like, a field at Camp Atterbury, Indiana, or wherever the fuck that is, because anywhere else, it's too dangerous and, like... You know, it's just just shit's blowing everywhere. Like people are falling off the rope. It's Blackhawk down first twenty minutes over and over again. It just looks dangerous. And, like it just doesn't one, look good. There's one thing I'm going to point out about you know these two pictures and then the picture we were looking at earlier with the the Humvee. You notice how beautiful the sky is because that's yeah. literally the only way that these fucking <laughs> things operate. <laughs> you need some Thomas Kincaid ass um, air. Uh, <laughs> situations to be able to deal with this yeah looking at yeah. this i'm just like would not no. want to do either of these <laughs> just like i don't want, want to, to. I, I i didn't jump out of airplanes just in general because it it seems silly but like jumping out of helicopter sounds even dumber and and no jumping out of helicopters again, is all- nice because they go they don't go as they don't go as fast and so when you jump out of helicopters you jump a little bit higher and it's going slower so the opening shock of your parachute is actually relatively comfortable and depending on the uh the aircraft oftentimes the units that you're like the groups you're jumping in are smaller so there's just fewer people out there also jumping out of helicopters like the uh takeoff to drop time tends to be shorter if you're doing training stuff as opposed to like with fixed wing aircraft where no shit you can be you know rigged for a mock combat jump with all your shit for like eight fucking hours waiting on the aircraft and refueling and loading and flying and shit so Mm -hmm. Jumping out of helicopters is fun, but this seems like it's taking the worst of both worlds. And just, just like they've man they've managed to make military parachuting, which sucks already, suck worse. <laughs> well, in addition to jumping out of it, you can also in flight refuel it. Oh god. That, Speaking yeah, of looking that, dangerous. That looks yeah. like a mistake. I just I love the rotors like that. Cause it's just like, hi, I'm a real airplane too. I'm a real airplane too. <laughs> that picture is there's literally only one thing that I can think of when I see that picture, which is do not talk to me or my son ever again. <laughs> my large tilt rotor thumb. <laughs> Don't worry, boy. One day, one day, your other rotors will come in. <laughs> Do you mean it, Dad? Yeah, he, 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 he hit a growth spurt early. Don't make fun of him. <laughs> Wait, waiting for my other tilt rotors to drop. Yeah, it's a C-130 with a pituitary <laughs> gland problem. <laughs> Man. Yeah, just looking at that, I, I, I'm not going to pretend I know how in-flight refueling works, but I am laughing at the idea that it's just sort of like, okay, so this thing... At a glance, this seems uncomfortably close. That's yeah, the all I'm rotor tip. The rotor tip looks oh, like. Yeah. I mean, I know that's a forced perspective thing, but yes, we're like, about to shear that thing right off. <laughs> oh, we'll get to that. Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> so, all right. So there were some funding and development issues with the uh, Osprey the as military. It, yes, incredibly. Sometimes military procurement isn't that good. 
Just just keep making the A10, okay? That's all I'm asking. It's good at its job. We don't need the F-35 to do it. Did they did they say that it was going to cost one thing and then it ended up costing not that thing? Yes. Who could have imagined this? <laughs> was the other thing higher than the first that thing? Yes. By a lot? Was by, it by a lot? It was by a lot, yes. <laughs> by a couple of whole numbers, maybe? <laughs> so... First, just keep rounding up. Just keep rounding up. They start developing the first prototypes in 1983. They start calling it the Osprey in 1985. In 1988, the first prototypes entered testing and the army pulled out of the program. Um, <laughs> that's, a, that's the reaction that you want. If you do the first prototype and the army's yeah, like, no, like, thank you. No, nope. nope. we are going to take our ball and go home. Thank you. 1989, the Senate tried to defund the Osprey twice. Uh, Dick Cheney tried to defund it as well. Uh, wow, what critical support! <laughs> yeah, noted, noted, yeah, noted hero of the people. Dick Cheney, <laughs> no, noted dove. Dick Cheney yeah. is like, yeah, no, I think the military is like spending too much money on this. He gets overruled by Congress. Um, nineteen ninety four. The prototype testing ends. Bell and Boeing are awarded a contract for actual production Ospreys. Right. Only took 11 years. Yeah, 11 years into the program so far, right? Further testing and evaluation was slow, plagued by frequent setbacks, and of course, just a couple of crashes. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, the, the, beautiful, the beautiful thing about the Osprey is that if you're in an airplane and your engines die, you still have lift from your from your wings. And, you know, jet airplanes, not so much, but, you know, a commercial airliner can belly land pretty easily. I think it's that with engines with engines down, like on a 737, you've got 12 feet of forward versus one foot of down. And with um, jets, it's like one to one. It's basically a 45 degree nose down into the, but, you know, you can inject out of that. When a helicopter's engines you know, stop the, the force of, you know, you, of the helicopter going down, keeps the rotors going. So you can, you know, hit the ground and it'll be a bump. It'll be a hell of a bump, but it's survivable. Like, you know, you can walk away from that and the helicopter doesn't burst into flames. The Osprey takes both of those safety features and just gets the fuck rid of them. Um, (laughs) Neither one of them would work even in, the you know where where the rotors are up when it's in helicopter mode the way that the rotors rotate completely negates the the downforce so you will still hard land in a explodey kind of way depending on how high up you are and of course when it's in jet airplane or whatever fucking airplane mode that it's in the rotors are too fucking big so you have no like real lift when you're gliding forward so basically if anything happens to the engines you're fucked in this thing and you can't it's there's no ejection seats in a uh a, a helicopter so yeah they they go down a lot you have a timed ejection seat that you know goes through the rotors <laughs> i think, I think the, some of the russian attack helicopters have those like one of the camoffs has uh not an ejection seat but an ejection cabin where it will like oh, wow. detonate the rotors and then shoot the entire like um the the entire cabin bit up off the aircraft it rules. relatedly uh mercedes put out a car a few years ago that had gullwing doors and if you flipped it uh because you're a moron person uh, the the way because obviously you can't open going doors or you're upside down. It had explosive bolts in the doors to just literally <laughs> yes. blow the doors off so you can get out. And I do love in this in this uh, picture top right, 
the guy taking a photo of an absolutely oh, trash us. Like that's yeah, us. It's like it's like the commercials where someone's like taking a picture to send to their insurance company. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like he's just like, yeah, boss, you're not gonna believe what happened out there today. Here, <laughs> let me send you a Snapchat. <laughs> it's just like it's got like a frowny face filter. <laughs> the way I read it is like looking at his like expression and his stance there. I read that as that's going in my cringe compilation. <laughs> Posting that up I on see. my uh, Instagram stories with <laughs> Mad World by Gary Jewell playing in the background. <laughs> also, also, I'm very into the Tyvek suited guy in the bottom left who is doing the virgin walk around a burned out hospital. <laughs> All right, so. There's a lot of incidents here, right? We'll start with the one in July 1992, right? Uh, this is, um, there was a pre-production Osprey on a demonstration flight in front of a bunch of congressmen at uh, the Marine Base in Quantico, right on the Potomac River, right south of Washington, D.C. Um, and, uh, yeah, there was, uh, there was an engine failure, and I guess the second engine with the drive shaft failed to kick in, and it crashed into the Potomac River, right in front of congressmen, killed seven Marines. Off to a flying start. I guess uh, not yeah, literally I mean, a that flying is the start. Thing that you would do as, start. Yeah. as a joke about how quickly something could get cancelled. And yet, it persists, right? <laughs> it's because cancel culture isn't real. Yeah. The stick-to-itiveness <laughs> is, is important. All I can ever think of is the, the, the pig roast in The Simpsons with successive bad things happening to it. And it's just a little airborne. It's still good. It's still yes. good. And it's just like, this happens like 25 times. And the Marines, it feels like instead of saying it's still good, it's just, but it's still cool. It's still cool. It's a plane and a helicopter. It's still cool. But it's, it's just fucking incinerating entire platoons of Marines, apparently. All right. So our big, our big famous incident is in 2000. And we have to sort of explain some helicopter dynamics here yeah, we have to use a picture of a comanche a cooler aircraft yes. in, order to just, in order to explain this all right so now it, in 2000 there was a simulated nighttime rescue mission uh which was going to land at marana northwest regional airport in arizona right so they're trying to do a nighttime landing at an airport. Okay. Uh, real difficult stuff, right? Um, and one of the Osprey's pilots realized they were coming into the airport too high, so they increased their rate of descent to compensate for the being at the wrong altitude, right? And one of the rotors on the Osprey entered something called a vortex ring state, right? So... The vortex ring state is when your rate of descent is too high. The helicopter is going down too quickly, right? So instead of air being forced down and out by the rotor, instead, the air is forced down, it swings back up, and then it goes through again. You know, all the air is going in this sort of donut pattern around the rotor, right? The, the forbidden donut, yes. Yes. And this is a vicious cycle, right? As, as the, uh, as you go down faster, the donut gets stronger, mm -hmm. you make less lift, which means you go down faster, right? The best way to get out of it is, of course, to go forward. Um, you know, then you can move into clean air and uh, this, this cycle will stop, right? Wasn't this also the thing that took out the stealth Black Hawk in uh, the Bin Laden raid? I have no idea. 
Quite possibly. Uh, Who knows? I mean, it's a Blackhawk. We call them Crash Hawks for a reason. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the rotors in this, uh, on the Osprey, entered a vortex ring state, uh, which meant the aircraft rolled over, the pilot lost control, smashed into the ground nose first, uh, all 19 Marines on board were killed. Uh, Yeah. So there was a two-month moratorium on testing the aircraft. The Marines blame it on human error, and they said the Oscars were good to go. I guess that's very easy when it fucking kills everyone. Oh, yeah. No survivors. Um, Then later that year, another one crashed and killed four Marines in December uh, in Jacksonville because of a hydraulic leak. Um, And one of the things that's notable about this aircraft is how there's a huge number of incidents for just a wide variety of unconnected reasons. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like it's not like the comet where there's like, oh, it's the shape of the windows. It's like every different part of this seems to like be able to go wrong in a way that destroys at like a platoon of Marines. Yeah. So March 2006, right? Um, that was uh Uncommanded engine acceleration while taxiing. Oh, this is my favorite one. <laughs> yeah, they, they 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 wired the factory wired the engine control wrongly, and uh, they s- fucking switched the thing in the wrong direction. And so when he tried, to, the pilot tried to turn one of the engines down to zero, he got maximum acceleration instead. <laughs> You'd think someone would have noticed that before. You would hope. You would really hope. And yet. April 2010 was a crash near uh, Kalat in Afghanistan. Kalat? I don't know how to pronounce that. It killed four unknown cause, aircraft destroyed. Uh, April 2012, two Marines killed when an Osprey crashed in Morocco. I, I didn't know what that one was exactly. Uh, June 2012, the Osprey flew through a prop wash from another aircraft during a training exercise that crashed, injured five people. May 2015, that was a dust intake accident in Hawaii. Jesus the right Christ, engine man. failed. Hard landing, fire, two Marines killed. Notably non-dusty places, Afghanistan and Iraq. Yeah. yeah. December 2016, Osprey rotor blade hits in-flight refueling hose. I told you that would fucking happen. We all looked at the picture once and were like, man, that seems really close to the refueling hose. It crashed on a reef half a mile offshore of Okinawa. Uh, two injured. Um, so I guess they, were, they started getting better at crash landing these without killing people. <laughs> Practice makes perfect. Uh, August 2017, an Osprey crashed into the USS Green Bay shortly after taking off from another ship. Goddamn Vikings fans, uh, man. Yeah. Three Marines dead. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah. Yikes. September 2017, hard landing in Syria. Two injuries. Aircraft uh, destroyed afterwards, so we don't know uh, what happened there. Um, so you gotta, like, look at all these accidents and, like, are these design flaws or is it all is it all human error or what's going on? I keep, how, how I keep coming back to Operation Eagle Claw, right, oh. where the original impetus for this design is we need something that can fly in the sand and like work very closely with other aircraft and then two at least two of these crashes are it got sand in it and it got too close to other aircraft i don't i just 
especially with whatever the 140 mile an hour uh, downwind or whatever it does. Like, so it just creates a dust storm all by itself, it feels like. And if you... <laughs> yeah, I feel like re- revisiting the whole thing with Desert One, it's like, yeah, we need to be able to fly in dust. And from an article that Francis found from the website War is Boring, the, the author assesses it as such. He says, the problems compound a notoriously unforgiving aircraft. The Osprey is almost impossible to land in a brownout situation in which dust and dirt envelop the cockpit. To have any chance in a brownout, a V-22 crew has to use advanced avionics and an infrared camera. A conventional helicopter can manage brownout with high-tech assistance, making it much safer. So basically, it's more dangerous than a normal helicopter in the conditions it was built <laughs> to mitigate. Literally, we have solved this problem by worse. making it worse and more it expensive. Literally it's literally <laughs> the, the answer to a question nobody asked, which was, what if what if helicopter but also turboprop? Like you just you don't <laughs> need to do this, man. Helicopters are fine. I mean, they're not, but they're fine. I just, I, 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 I once again, the United States military and their search for endless nonsense baffles me. Amazingly, also, it bears mention that uh, in adjusted in prices for the aircraft this was supposed to, or for inflation, the aircraft this was supposed to replace, the C-53, uh, would cost, I think, like $11 million per aircraft uh, in you know inflation-adjusted dollars, whereas the Osprey costs $100 million per aircraft. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would honestly rather just get nine C-53s. I don't care. I'll just fly all of them at once as one aircraft. I'll glue them together if I have to. Exactly. It, it, it's just, just, just whatever problem. We're gonna get a tank and we're gonna sling load it yes. by connecting it to nine CH fifty threes. We're just gonna fly it places. It's gonna solve it that ball. way. <laughs> Can you imagine coming over the horizon and be like, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna shoot at, I don't know, I'm gonna shoot at the U.S. military today," and then suddenly there's nine tanks being wrecking balled into you. You're not gonna do anything. <laughs> in which Liam invents the new doctrine for the 21st century. You finally figure out what to do with all those mothballed <laughs> tanks. Yeah, load them down with explosives. <laughs> just use them as yeah, projectiles, yeah. yeah. I wonder, maybe that would be a good way to do it. Another good way to do it would be to put the tank on a trebuchet. Give <laughs> 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 <Get> it small <laughs> Yeah. Another thing about the Osprey is if you ask the Marines, you look at official records, this is a very reliable and cost-effective aircraft, right? Oh, are we going to talk about Odin? My favorite dude, <laughs> this guy I just found. I didn't actually write down anything about Odin beyond, like, there's been a lot of incidents of maintenance records being falsified. Jesus Christ, yeah, what? Why? What they did, what they did was they dismissed uh, a Marine, I think he was a lieutenant colonel, um, named, fuck, hold on, let me find this. Yeah, Lieutenant Colonel Odin Lieberman, commander of the V-22 squadron at Marine Corps Air Station New River, relieved of duty after allegations that he instructed his unit to falsify maintenance records to make the Osprey appear more reliable. Um, And I I should clarify, the maintenance target was that 80% of the fleet be operational at any one time, and what he got busted for was trying to get that number up to 50. (laughs) (laughs) There was famously in, in in the Osprey sort of saga, there was a, an, an allegation that they were disregarding any ground incidents, safety problems with the aircraft. And their defense was, well, that's also how the Navy calculates <laughs> its safety records with regard to aircraft. This is like, uh, you're not really filling me with confidence here. <laughs> Look, if it happens on the ground, it's not an aircraft problem. It's a ground, it's a ground exactly, craft problem. Exactly. What this reminds me of 
is is the the famously the New York City subway has terrible terrible on time like like uh, scheduled departure records like their their best line I think at its best, its peak was getting like ninety one percent on time but most of the lines are in like the sixty to seventy percent range and the way the New York New York City subway or the MTA defines on time is within five minutes before or after the scheduled departure and they're still only hitting sixty to seventy percent uh, there was a joke about how the Japan since records have been kept. In the the Japanese uh, or the, the Tokyo extended subway network, uh, basically, if you applied that standard to Tokyo's records for on time departures, no train has ever been late in Tokyo <laughs> ever. <laughs> <laughs> and that to me is like it's the same sort of thing. It's like even with the most generous fucking standards, it's just like, uh, yeah, fifty is my cheat goal. <laughs> my favorite part about that is that SEPTA actually gives themselves a six minute window. Before or after, oh, yeah. and I just Christ. like, of course they do, and and there are a bunch of lines that are still like, yeah, like sixty five percent, and I'm just like, twelve minutes total is that like that's not on time, man. Like you own the track, <laughs> you, exactly. you have no excuse. You, you have you own it. You could just put the trains there. Oh my god, uh, yeah, I knew this was gonna devolve into train chat eventually. <laughs> um, <laughs> so. Uh, but, you know, one of the things about the Osprey, of course, is, you know, it's not, you may be excited to learn that you too may soon fly in an Osprey because the civilian yeah, version go, go is coming out. Go to your out. local recruiting office. <laughs> I just as bad scores he's ever seen, baby. <laughs> yeah, that's correct. The, the, uh, the, the, in partnership with, uh, with an Italian aircraft manufacturer, uh, which had a bunch of different names, but is now called Leonardo. Um, exciting is, sign yeah bell is trying to uh, basically get a civilian variant of this out on the market now the civilian variant is going to be pressurized and have a cruising altitude of like twenty five thousand feet it's supposed to have 650 uh 650 nautical miles range without uh additional like i think you, you have to have fuel external fuel pods for a longer range which their marketing is basically within the same ballpark as your standard vip private jet flight uh, apparently, Mike Bloomberg really wants one, and he's been on the waiting list since 2012. Uh, huh. It's also obviously vertical takeoff. I, I do want Mike Bloomberg to be in a V. To make that dream come true, and they call it the Uwu 69. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh. yeah um, and, and, and so, in order to achieve, yeah, I think as I mentioned earlier, that the cabin would be pressurized, and so that. If you're used to flying in a helicopter, would probably be a little quieter, a little more comfortable, but still. Um, I have no idea how you're going to sell this. I think the whole point here is to try to... Uh, it, my, my, my conspiracy theory is that all of this is that even if they can just get... Because apparently the United Arab Emirates is buying them for... And I'm putting scare quotes around this search and rescue missions. <coughs> I think the whole plan here is just so that that number for cost per unit for the Marine Corps is not eye-wateringly high. Um, I'm, I'm, but also one thing to bear in mind is that selling it as a civilian model for, once again, search and rescue um, allows the manufacturers to get around export restrictions to countries with dodgy records when it comes to what they use military aircraft for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're going to search so. and rescue some dissidents right out the back yeah. of this thing. <laughs> I did like put the notes, the throwing Donkey Kong style barrels at the remnants of Yemeni's school buses. Uh, <laughs> no, they're going to they're they're sling load the, the Donkey Kong style barrels at the Yemeni school buses. I mean, listen. The, the best, the best possible outcome is that the UAE buys these in order to like ferry shipments of white Dior belts back and forth. Um, 
I was just going to jump in and say there was a really funny aspect to this too. Is that another thing that the uh, the Marine, the Marine Corps and the Navy are trying to use this aircraft for? Well, you know, the Department of Defense Marine Corps lobbying arm is also trying to use the V twenty two to replace aircraft that are used for uh, onboard delivery for aircraft carriers. Um, however, uh, and just a quick anecdote: if you were to load up a V twenty two Osprey with the same amount of cargo that a C two cargo cargo plane from the 60s can use you know for aircraft carrier onboard delivery uh you would basically reduce a 2000 mile range of the c2 to about 50 miles because in order to carry that much cargo you'd have to sling load it it would be a wrecking ball slash donkey kong barrel so does it work as a cargo jet or cargo plane no. I love to get hit by a giant sling load of all of my ship's <laughs> mail and then washed over the side of the flight deck. <laughs> Sorry, Alice. <laughs> Oops. So, to, to, to summarize so far, I mean, it seems that uh, it, it, it can only go 50 miles if it's loaded to, cur- to the cargo capacity of the current planes that have been around for over 50 years. Um, it crashes a lot. It crashes as a helicopter. It crashes as a plane. It melts flight decks. It blows people <laughs> off decks. Yeah. It took it to an air show in 2010 in New York City, and it just like blew people around really bad and injured like 10 people. Uh, this is just an aircraft for bullying people on the ground. Yeah. Well, I'm, up here, I'm up here, and you're down there. <laughs> Stop shoving yourself. Stop shoving yourself. Yeah, let's not forget that it will... It'll it'll drown a person if it's hovering over them while yep. they're in the water. Oh, and they use them uh, for presidential stuff also because VMX One, uh, the the Marine helicopter squadron that does uh, Marine One, the the helicopter the president gets to fly around in, uses these in like a natty sort of green and white uh, livery that they use as like support aircraft. I don't know if they've ever actually flown VIPs on them yet. Maybe that's like your punishment if you anger somebody in the chief of staff's office. Well, one of the one of the funny details from that article that Francis found that I thought was amazing too is the fact that um, you know a lot obviously back to the Desert One invading Iran combat combat sort of insertion sort of thing. One of the problems that this aircraft has is well, it fly in, <laughs> in helicopter mode. It flies too fast. For close or what's it called? Um, an attack weapons team of of uh, AH sixty fours or AH ones to keep up with. So it's too fast for combat helicopters or attack helicopters. It's also in fixed wing mode or rotary like a uh, forward propulsion mode. It is too slow for an AC one thirty or an A ten. <laughs> so basically, <laughs> if you do a combat mission, you can't defend this with any other aircraft besides V twenty twos. It's self-replicating. You just one gotta, of like, us. One of God. us. One of us. <laughs> so you've, what you've, what you've got to do is you've got to do some kind of an AV-22 gunship where you just like start putting more guns on it. Uh, I, I can see no problems with this. <laughs> the rotors are guns. Everything is guns. Well, I mean, one of the things that's amazing about the AC-130 is that, I mean, it's a C-130 you know, cargo prop plane with like all sorts of ridiculous armaments on it to include, if I'm not mistaken, a 105 millimeter howitzer, uh, oh, which I mean is yes. a lot of fucking force and recoil for. But this is this is you know a a prop plane with four propellers. I'm just imagining that there's some undiscovered law of physics that's like the donut of death you were describing previously. That like if you shoot a howitzer with one of these, like a new rotor pattern, <laughs> will the birds will just knock it out of the sky. <laughs> 
Yeah, just, just like load a howitzer onto the like back ramp of one of these and see what happens, you know? How bad can it be? <laughs> we'll find a brand new way to run one of these into the ground. Yes. <laughs> In our hearts, all we wanted was something as, as effective as the kamikaze planes of World War II, and by God, we found it. <laughs> USA, 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 <laughs> right, right as you nosedive into a ditch. But thank God you, have, you can land nicely on your 105mm howitzer. Nice, nice I mean, little balance I, there. <laughs> Yeah, maybe and that's what you use. You you point the howitzer to the ground, so when you start crashing, you use the force, the upward force of a of a howitzer blast to keep you from yes. doing too hard of a like landing. A tank yeah. GTA. Yes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You use the tank to the tank loader to make yourself go faster. Yeah, was, well, one of the things that also makes me laugh too is that you you then ask yourself the question. Well, okay, it's huge boondoggle, waste of money, tens of billions of dollars, 100 million per aircraft. It sucks, it crashes, it's incredibly unsafe. All its various civilian applications are probably boondoggles. But does it at least develop a technology that can then later be used for civilian applications like every other military boondoggle? Apparently the answer is no. It does not <laughs> fuck at all. It's constantly killing people in ways that we absolutely knew were going to happen. We need to go back to the day when the when the military would be like, we invented this thing. Oh, now you can cook burritos with it. It's called a microwave oven. Like now it's the now it's just all like they, the military's already given us all like the good shit. And now it's just like, do you like do you like a helicopter airplane or an airplane helicopter? No. Yeah, would well, you, would you like anyway. to die? Would you like to die faster? <laughs> Did you say yes? Great yeah. news. I said no. Hell you yeah. said yes. Good news, everyone. Yeah, so what we have in the end is just uh, maybe they'll have a civilian version so Mike Bloomberg can get to D.C. faster. Um, <laughs> that seems to be one of the niche applications, according to the article, is like, oh, well, you can get from New York City to Washington, D.C. in an hour. Replacing like, the Acela. I, I, the Acela <laughs> can carry a lot more people than this thing. <laughs> I'm, like I'm also laughing at the idea of like what kind of structural damage does something that melts aircraft carrier decks do to like the helipad <laughs> of a civilian building? <laughs> it's like the way that you do 9-11 with a V-22 Osprey so you melt the building from the top. Yeah, you, just, <laughs> you just sort of fly close to it. <laughs> I'm just thinking, just I'm just thinking of that. That that guy leaning out the side of the Osprey, but he's got like an unlit cigarette and he's just pressing it against the engine compartment to light it. <laughs> Forgot my lighter. Hold on. I gotta I gotta light my butt off of the uh the engines. Um well, that's the V twenty two Osprey. Yeah, and we're gonna do a second part at some point soon, yes. uh, with Francis and Nate about military aircraft procurement in general, which is gonna be a fun time. We can talk about uh, starfighters just like plowing Germans into fields. <laughs> I'm I'm, ex I'm especially excited to talk about the Comanche helicopter because people who live in the UK know there was a, a viral fake news, unsubstantiated the big lasagna. Uh, what, <laughs> what, WhatsApp WhatsApp chat message that was going around in the early days of COVID, basically saying that uh, the British government was spreading COVID around London with Comanche helicopters. So they would be flying around at night doing this, and it's like. Well, there's two of them, and they're in a museum in fucking Kentucky, I think. So how that's working, I have no idea. But we'll find out in that bonus episode. Yeah, and that yeah. will be available on our bonus feed, on Hell of a Waste Dyer's bonus feed. Uh, this should be available on both of our regular feeds. So it's, yeah. it's a crossover episode, and uh, we hope you've enjoyed it. Yes. Yeah, come, come listen to our stuff if you like more military things.
Um, yeah. This has been. Eventually, I'm going to come back on to uh, talk about Lustron houses with Alice. Yes, <laughs> please do. I don't know what that is. That like the steel house? Yeah, it's made out of steel panels. Nice. Oh, that'll be fun. Um, all right. Uh, do we want to try and do safety third? Because I didn't put anything anywhere for that. Um, I think it's. I think we can probably skip it this time. Yeah. All we right. can do another one. That sounds good. Yeah, I was going to say, I got I to run, so. Okay. In that case, our next episode will, of course, be on the Tacoma Narrows Bridge disaster. That's uh, right. Yes. And does anyone have any commercials before we go? Listen to Hell of a Way to Die. It rules. Yes. Yeah, get, on, get on our Patreon, uh, com for our writings and our store. Uh, the Patreon has all of our bonus stuff. We do one bonus episode every week with uh, interviews and movie reviews. And sometimes Nate and I just get on and do dad chat because we're both old and falling <laughs> apart. So if that's, if that's up your alley for some reason, have I got a fucking bonus feed for you? Oh yeah, and we even do a little bit of previews in the beginning of our episodes where we do some dad chat. And in fact, a friend of ours recommended our show to a, a veteran friends of his who is who's also a lefty guy. And the guy very frantically texted his friend back and was like, "Did I mix this up? Is there another hell of a way to die that's just about gardening?" <laughs> and it's like, no, "That's our show." I, I I subscribe to this for leftist military stuff, and instead, all I'm learning is how to grill. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, thank you so much for having yeah. us on, guys. Well, our oh, no problem. It was great. It was fun. We should do this more. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I'm all about coming on to talk about failed military. Like that's literally our our thing is how how big of a failure the military mm-hmm. is. But if we can deep dive it into like uh, mechanical problems, not necessarily just like the culture, um, that <laughs> is also that, that's that's so that's a brand new place to go. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> all right. Bye, everybody. Yeah. All right. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. There we did it. We made an episode.